Where's Greg at? Greg, do we have a special? Okay. <clears throat> we thought we did, but we don't. All right. Unless there's somebody here that prepared a special and you want to sing it right now or something. Anybody? Jeff in the back, you got something for us? No. All right. All right. Didn't take him long to deny that. that was <laughs> okay, please take your Bible. Let's turn in the Old Testament to the book of Ezra. Ezra, and we're going to be doing chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. Ezra, chapter 6, 1 to 15. If you have your Bibles with you, I hope you do. We're going to have to review the context here so we understand what was going on and what's happening now, and we'll get into that in just a minute. But I, I want to take a couple of minutes and talk to you about uh, what happened with a school in Canada called Trinity, Inter in Trinity Western Inter University, I guess it is, Trinity Western University, TWU. And uh, that is an Evangelical Free Church School of Canada. And we have our own church school, uh, actually uh, we have more than one uh, down here in the States, and we have Trinity International University, and we also have uh, our, our theological school for those going into the ministry uh, called Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and we also have a school down in Florida. Well, this is about the one that's in Canada, and we call that TWU. We've had lots of kids from the States go there because of the exchange rate on, on the, the American currency as opposed to the Canadian currency, and it really saved a lot of money going up there. But anyway, uh, that's one of our schools in Canada, the Free Church of Canada. And in 2012, uh, what they wanted to do was they wanted to start a law school that is distinctively Christian, and they want to train Christian lawyers. And they uh, were trying to get accreditation in Canada for that particular uh, venture, that school, and they were opposed by the very folks that accredit law schools. So the people that accredit law schools in Canada were opposed to them and, and were refusing to give them accreditation uh, because of their stand on Christ. The end, they ended up taking it to the Supreme Court of Canada, and you saw a picture of that building up here just a minute ago, and they lost their bid to make a Christian law school. They lost it in 2018. So they had six years of battling, trying to get to the place where they could start this school with a Christian flavor, and at the Supreme Court level, they lost that. They were turned down because of a statement that they had uh, in their doctrinal statement and in what they wanted the people coming for law school to actually abide by, and the statement uh, included an abstinence statement that was abstinence from sex outside of heterosexual marriage. That was a statement that stopped everything. The supporters of the ban, uh, banning the school, the law school, claimed that this was a great victory in Canada for the LGBTQ movement. Uh, this has other consequences, though, than just what happened to uh, this, uh, the proposed Christian law school uh, that did not get approved. And that is now uh, affecting Christian schools in Canada. It's affecting nurses and other medical professionals, for example. And anybody in Christian ministry is now having to deal with this issue that we went to the highest court in the land and we lost. Uh, a representative from a group called Cardis Religious Freedom Group 
uh, Ray Pennings, and that would be a Canadian group, said, and I quote, at issue is the nature of faith and the ability of people of faith to live in a public square, end quote. Now let me read it again. At issue is the nature of faith and the ability of people of faith to live it in a public square. That's what's on the, uh, that's what's on the agenda in the future here in America. And that is, should you be allowed to say what the Bible says about sexual sins and sexual perversions, should you be allowed to say that just because the Bible calls those things an abomination? And there are people in the secular world that are, that are saying, no, you should not be allowed to say it. We don't care whether it's in the Bible or not. And that's going to be something that we will be facing, I'm sure, in the future. Sometimes the government of a nation can stop Christian ministry from moving forward. Stop it dead. Stop it cold. And that makes our work very difficult. How do we continue to serve Christ and serve his, his desires in our communities uh, when it's against the law? But friends, I want to emphasize something this morning as we read that God is in control. God is still in control in Canada. God is still in control in Venezuela and Brazil and in Russia and in the United States of America. Sometimes we lose things. But God never loses anything. Sometimes he miraculously moves us forward. And we learned in, in, his, in Ezra chapter 4, sometimes he decides not to move us forward, miraculously or otherwise. Now, we want to read our text together this morning in Ezra chapter 6, but we have to remember what has just happened. The people of the land were called back and went back in order to build the temple. That's what they were supposed to do. They got caught up in some things, and there was a, one long time period of about 16 years where they didn't do anything. When you add up all the time they didn't work on the temple, it's about 21 years altogether, and they were supposed to do that. God called on his prophets Haggai and Zechariah to rouse these people, get them back on the job, and God told them through Haggai, look, you're all building your own houses, and you're putting paneling in your houses. You're taking great care with that and my house sits in ruin, and there you are. And they, they start building, and then this, this guy that is a uh, governor on the other side of the Euphrates River, on their side of the Euphrates, his name is Tetanai, and also a colleague, Shether Bozenai, and they said, what are these Jews doing? They should not be building a temple, uh, and we need to go stop it. So they went, and they said, what are you guys doing? And they said, well, we were given permission to do this. And he says, well, I don't know of any permission to do this. But we're going to call the king, we're going to ask the king, we're going to find out if that's actually taking place or has taken place, and then we'll let you know. But the miracle is they let them continue to build while they were waiting for the king, uh, Darius, to send back his answer. So that's where we are. And let me read in chapter 6. This is what happened, okay, after they decided to stop it in verse 1. Then King Darius issued a decree, and a search was made in the archives where the treasures were stored in Babylon. So the letter that Tetanai wrote got back to the king, and now the king has this issue in front of him. And it says in verse 2, In Ecbatana, in the fortress, which is in the province of Media, a scroll was found, and there was written in it what follows, memorandum. In the first year of King Cyrus, Cyrus the king issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem 
Let the, let the temple in the place where sacrifices are offered be rebuilt and let its foundations be retained, its height being 60 cubits and its width 60 cubits. That's roughly 90 feet. With three layers of huge stones one and one layer of timbers. And let the cost be paid from the royal treasury. Also, let the gold and silver utensils of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, be returned and brought to their place in the temple in Jerusalem. And you shall put them in the house of God. Now, therefore, Tetanai, governor of the province beyond the river, that is the Euphrates, Shether Bozani, and your colleagues, the officials of the province beyond the river, keep away from there. So they went and they found this is what King Cyrus said and what he decreed. Now Darius is writing back, and one of the first things out of his mouth is, you guys keep away from there. Verse 7, leave this work on the house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews, and we believe that would be Zerubbabel, and, and elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I issue a decree concerning that you are to do these things for the elders of Judah in the rebuilding of this house of God. Now get this, these guys are trying to stop this. They write the king, the king writes back and says, you know what, we found permission, and now not only are they going to be allowed to do it, but here's what you're going to do to help them. So this, this is a big deal. And he says, uh, you got, um, well, let me read verse 8 again. Moreover, I issue a decree concerning that you are to do these things for Judah and the rebuilding of this house of God. The full cost, the full cost. They were trying to save money for the king. Now the king says, what's coming out of our treasury is going to be the full cost to be paid to these people from the royal treasury out of the taxes of the province beyond the river, and that without delay. Whatever is needed, both young bulls, rams, lambs, and a burnt offering to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, and anointing oil, as the priests in Jerusalem request it, it is to be given to them daily without fail, that they may offer acceptable, that's that thing we talked about before, uh, an offering of a pleasing aroma to God, an offering that is pleasing to him, and acceptable sacrifices to the God of heaven, and this is why the king did that. Same reason Cyrus did it. He says, and pray for the life of the king and his sons. I'm going to let you rebuild. I want this God back in business, back in Judah, and I want you to pray to that God for my sons and for me and our kingdom. And I issued a decree that any man who violates this edict, a timber shall be drawn from his house, and he shall be impaled on it, and his house shall be made a refuse heap, a junkyard, on account of this. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who attempts to change it. So as to destroy this house of God in Jerusalem, I, Darius, have issued this decree. Let it be carried out without diligence. Now, he just said, you better hurry up. Verse 8, verse 12. Here's the result. Then Tetani, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shether Bozani, and their colleagues carried out the decree, here we go again, with all diligence, just as King Darius had sent. And the elders of the Jews were successful in building through the prophesying of Haggai and the prophet Zechariah, the son of Edu. And they finished building according to the command of God of Israel and the decree of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, kings of, king of Persia. Interesting, isn't it? Three pagan kings, and all three of them have credit for doing this work of God, this ministry in Israel. Then they appointed the priests to their divisions, 
and the Levites, and I'm sorry, I skipped down there. My, my eye went back. You're wondering, where am I? And I'm wondering the same thing. All right, now I'm in verse 14. And the elders of the Jews were successful in building through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophesying of Zechariah, son of Edu, and they finished the building. And these three kings, pagan kings, helped them do it. Verse 15, this temple was completed on the third day of the month Adar, and it was in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. What a change. What an absolute miracle of happenings that we went from being threatened to shut the whole thing down, quit building, to now the governor who brought this up is going to actually aid you in the building of the temple. Now, I want you to be thinking about ministries today. I'd like you to be thinking about your ministry and opposition to your ministry and to my ministry and the fact that God is still in control. In verses 1 to 2a, we learn that the king acts on the request and the pertinent document was found in Ecbatana. Now, what I want to illustrate from that is, I want you to know that there's a request to a guy that has no really stake except for prayer in what the Jews are doing, and yet I want you to look at all the things he did to get this done. Another way to put this is, where we are concerned, it is that God controls and directs the hearts of kings and presidents and other leaders, be they believers or pagans, be they believers or unbelievers. Now, we've referred to this because it's such a wonderful verse for us to know. In Proverbs 21, Solomon writes and gives us a picture in our minds that the king's heart is just like channels of water. And just imagine God holding a king's heart in, in the cup of his hand, and, and God is in control of that. That's the issue. So the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He, that is the Lord Yahweh, turns it wherever he wishes it to go. So whatever God wants done, doesn't matter if it's a Christian king or a pagan king or a God-hating king, wherever God wants that heart to go, he just tips it in the direction that he wants it to flow, and that's where it flows. And God gave these three kings uh, a direction, a channel of water to build the temple in Jerusalem, and guess what's happening? People are often used of God who do not know God, do not love God, and do not honor God. <clears throat> well, if you turn to uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 11, we're actually talking here about a guy who uh, was in, in cahoots with the rest of the leaders, Jewish religious leaders, about putting Jesus Christ to death. He's the high priest. He wants nothing to do with Jesus. He wants Jesus to be killed. And they're debating that in John chapter 11. And what I want to bring your attention to is verses 49 to 51. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. So here we are in the debate, what are we going to do with Jesus? And the high priest yells out, you, you guys, you know nothing at all. He goes on to say, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. And notice what John says by the Spirit of God in verse 51. Now he, that is Caiaphas, did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together in one the children of God 
who are scattered abroad, meaning Jews and Gentiles. Isn't that interesting? Caiaphas is, is there with him, and he wants to find a way to put Jesus to death. And he interrupts, and he says, you guys don't know what you're talking about. It's better if one guy die for the whole nation than the whole nation perish. And he said all that. He didn't love Jesus. He wasn't trying to make Jesus the king. He wanted Jesus dead. And yet God speaks through him the truth about the sacrificial atoning death of his son on the cross. God can use those who love him and those who don't love him. Not a big deal for God. Well, the archives of the document were searched in Babylon because uh, that's what Tet and I asked the king to do. So he said, yeah, let's see if there's any official document on this in our archives. And they searched in Babylon, but they could not find a single scroll that mentioned this. All right, now what's amazing is that the king didn't stop there. You know, if you go down and you search the whole library, and I'm thinking about some university library, these things were huge, and, and you search it, you can't find anything, a lot of people just give up. The kings would often, though, spend different seasons of the year in different areas of the kingdom according to how hot or cold it was. It was common for a king, like King Cyrus did, to go to media to a town called Ecbatana for a hot summer month, and Ecbatana was about 271.3 miles northeast of Babylon. So in the summer, it was much cooler. The search reached there because that's where Cyrus made the decree, and they also had a treasury of the king's stuff in that particular one. Sorry, Brad, I'm laughing with your wife on that. <clears throat> uh, the, the, the king had stuff in that treasury, so they sent and they even looked there. So my point is that since God is in charge, God is in control, Darius was moved by God. God turned that heart where he wanted it to go. Uh, God moved him to great lengths to find the truth about the temple in, in Jerusalem. The seriousness of Darius is seen in the fact that he made the decree uh, about this whole thing. It was a difficult task since the computers that day didn't work, their cell phones didn't work, uh, they didn't have even a telegraph, right? They didn't have any of those things. It was a big deal to send somebody up to check the archives 271.3 miles away. And somebody, sifting through all that stuff, found a scroll. And in that scroll, they found something that said, Memorandum, by the way, here's what King Cyrus said to do. And that's the kind of thing that can happen when God is in control. And friends, God is in control. In verse 2b to 5, God vindicates the Israelites as having been given royal permission to do what they claimed they had been commanded to do. They told him, the king told us we could do this, and sure enough, they find out the king did tell them they could do this, and it's in writing. A way for us to look at this would be for us to remember to act on the permission that we've been given in ministry and do what was prescribed to be done. We are living in one of the freest nations on earth. We are praying daily that it'll stay free. We are living in a place where the church has unprecedented access to, to many places in our land, although we're seeing some of those things cut off and, and erased, all right, in, in places where there's monuments. We see that. But we still have the freedom to talk about Jesus to our neighbors. We still have the freedom to meet together. We still have the freedom to worship together. We have all this freedom. The issue is, have we been using that freedom for our own pleasure and for our own things that we want to get done or have we used it to the best of our ability to reach people for Jesus Christ and to train them 
to serve him. We're going to find out how much if we start to lose some of these things like they lost in Canada. And when that happens and we don't have the freedom, and now there may be a jail uh, term uh, attached to something, what will we do? But while we're free, while we can do it, are we making the most of every opportunity? I can't answer that for you. Uh, I can only answer for me. But are we taking advantage of what we have right now? We have been given the right to worship together as a church. We should use this right to the fullest extent of the law and to the fullest capability for, and capacity for our ministry. We have the right right now to the freedom of speech. We should use this right to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to share what he has to say about how to live life and what's, what's wrong and what's evil and what isn't wrong and what is righteous. We should use this right to share the good news in all of its aspects, not just salvation, but the good news of how Jesus tells us we should live our life. I know some organizations right now and some businesses are taking that right away from their employees, and uh, this, this should be fought by us and the means that we have. The documentation was available uh, to these folks, and the current king was willing to uphold the former king's decision. Cyrus, the former king, had made a very specific decree and decision that the temple was to be rebuilt for Yahweh in Jerusalem. There's no doubt about that. He said, here's the following things I want you to do. Uh, The temple must be rebuilt on its former foundation. Its height is to be equal to its width, 60 cubits by 60 cubits. That's 90 feet by 90 feet. It was to be three layers of huge stone and one layer of timber. The cost for it would come out of his royal treasury. This just gets better and better. The gold and utensils from the temple that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from that temple are to be returned to their proper place in the temple. I mean, wow, where did that come from? You know, well, it came from God. And these people are wondering if they're even going to be able to finish the temple because they know this letter's gone away, uh, and and they're, they're doing it by faith, and God comes along, and because of that faith and because of his will, it's better than they could possibly imagine. The Jews clearly had permission and support, uh, support from Cyrus to rebuild the temple and to receive help, listen, from a pagan government. They received help for the temple of God from a pagan government. All my life, I've heard Christians debate over whether or not we should ever accept outside money for ministry, including our buildings. In other words, is it ever right to take money from secular people and include that in our ministry or our buildings? Well, there is evidence here for that and from the plunder that the Israelites did on the Egyptians in the Old Testament. And here's what they did. If you look back at Exodus 12, 35. So are you saying, is there ever any evidence where uh, God's people took money from pagans and used it uh, for their benefit and for the benefit of of the, of the kingdom. Well, yes, there is. Exodus 12, 35. Now the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, for they requested from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have their request. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Uh, and took that money and used it for their uh, exodus, uh, you know, getting out of of the land of Egypt, and they took it even into uh, where they went in the new land years later. We're also taught in Ezra that we will not take money 
that brings compromise to the ministry. So what I want us to understand from this is that it is not always wrong to receive money from the outside, but then on the other hand, if there's compromise involved, it's not always right to take it. And it takes the wisdom of God to figure out what that is. All along the way, it is important to pray for our country and for her rulers. You know, I watched a lot of people, they were having special Bible and prayer studies and prayer uh, for what was happening in our elections, and that, that's wonderful. I'm glad people did. But there should never be a time when we are caught not praying the way we should for those who are in authority over us. Now, Jeremiah in chapter 29, and let's see, I'm going to look at verse 7. Jeremiah was getting the question, okay, we're being taken away into Babylon. Now we're, now we're going to have to live under a pagan government, and they don't like our religion up there. And we have all the story of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and all those people that stood for God in that pagan country. We have all that. Uh, and they're asking Jeremiah, what should we do? And in 29.7, he says, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to Yahweh on its behalf. You get this? He's asking them to pray for Babylon, no less. Babylon. Of all the wicked cities in the day that existed in those days, it was Babylon. And Jeremiah says, pray for them every day. Pray for their peace. Uh, pray the Lord on its behalf for its welfare. That's the word shalom, it's peace. And you will have peace. You will have welfare. So we should always be praying for our government, no matter what our government is, and government leaders, and that God would use them and guide them and help them because that also benefits our ministries uh, in that particular land. Another place we see that is in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 1 to 3. First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, then he mentions, verse 2, for kings, all those who are in authority, those are government leaders and police officers and others, and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving to be made on behalf of all men. For kings, he says. You get that? Verse 3, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It doesn't matter whether you like a president or you don't like a president, you like a congresswoman or you don't like a congresswoman, it doesn't matter if they're in office. It is the duty of the church to pray for these people. It's okay to pray that they would find Jesus Christ and follow him and, and rule in a, in a good way. That's, that's fine. That's what we should do. We should pray for, for peace in the land. We should pray for their benefit because if, if they benefit, then we're going to be able to benefit by the peace God gives, and then we can do in our country what God wants us to do. Finally, there in verses 6 to 12, I guess I'm not quite done there yet, God often establishes our ministries in rock-solid ways, opening the door for us to serve. As a result of the memorandum, Darius returns the decree to the Persian leaders, Tetanai and uh, his, his uh, counterpart there, who sent the inquiry to him. The first thing in the decree is that the Persian official beyond the river will not hinder in any way the building that is taking place. Darius says very clearly, you keep away from what they're doing. Leave them alone. All right, that's pretty clear. In verse 7, the work that is going on in the temple by the Jews is to be left alone, unhindered, so that the workers are able to complete the task. 
Yes, it's okay to rebuild the temple. That's what they were told to do, and they're going to find out, and you're going to help them. So further, in verse 8, the cost of reconstruction is to be paid out of the taxes that are collected in that part of the kingdom, a, a pagan kingdom, a godless kingdom. But the king says, I'm going to pay for that. And, and those taxes on your side of the river, that's where we're going to get the money. Notice the insistence of the king. This is to be done without delay. And the other instances of that that we noted in our text. Haggai, behind the scenes, has been working uh, to get the people going in Jerusalem to solve the problem of their disinterest in doing what God said. The people have stopped building and instead were focusing on building their own homes, their own little empires, instead of taking care of the house of God. Uh, there was a priority problem, <clears throat> verses 9 and 10. Further, the king will supply animals for sacrifice to Yahweh that are acceptable sacrifices to him. And we have no indication that they, they took those from him, and they have no indication that they didn't. Uh, the text leaves it that that's probably what happened. And so they're using uh, the, the secular payment behind that, and they're dedicating it to God. You know why? Because I don't care if you believe in Jesus Christ or you don't believe in Christ. Your money belongs to God. And the book of Proverbs says, I'll take the money of an unrighteous man, and I'll give it to the righteous. I'll take it from somebody that has more than enough to eat, and I'll give it to those who don't have enough to eat. It's all God's money. Every bit of it. And if God wants to use it from an unbeliever to do something for his ministry, which he's done millions of times in history, he will. The letter, the decree indicates the king probably used Jewish counselors in Babylon for the correct drafting of the decree. He uses the right word for a pleasing sacrifice, uh, especially the word sweet savor, verse 10. Note the purpose for which Darius jumps on this opportunity is so the people will pray for him to their God. There has been uncovered an inscription in Egypt that refers to Darius I as, and I quote, the friend of all gods, all right? He himself a follower of Ahura Mazda, not Yahweh. But he was seen as the friend of all gods. He rebuilt temples all over his kingdom. So he probably at that point didn't believe in our God Yahweh. But the point is, he was doing this everywhere. In verses 11 and 12, the penalty for interfering with this project was the terrible death and destruction of one's home, as well as God's protection on that site of the temple. Herodotus recorded that when Darius I all right, so when he, when he went in Babylon, he impaled no less than 3,000 of their people, leaders and, and military people and other people, 3,000 he impaled through their chests in their chest cavity and waited for them to die. He is not kidding when he threatens Tetanai and uh, Shether Bozani and anybody else in the government. He is not kidding. If you get in the way, if you don't do this quickly, you will find yourself impaled from a timber from your own house, and while you're dying, you can probably watch them continue to destroy your own house. And he, he, doesn't, he doesn't kid with this stuff. 
has at least 3,000 people that he can show, I mean what I'm saying. So when they got this back, you can see why Tet and I made haste to go to Jerusalem and say, hey, we're on your team, and we're going to help you with this, and we're going to bring the money, and we're going to give you what you need, because they believe the the king is not kidding around. He asked Israel's God also to protect the place, and if anyone, even a king, tries to change or destroy his house, uh, no matter who they are, that Yahweh would take care of them. Note again, this is to be carried out with all diligence, no tolerance in what he's writing, none whatsoever. There's no leeway here. In the last part, 13 to 15, God causes all things to work together for the success of our ministries in his time. In his time. It kind of reminds us of Romans 8:28, right? The Persian authorities over the province were, were in Jerusalem saw to it that the command was carried out. And it was done with diligence. And Tetanai was on board. I'm sure that not being impelled, not having their houses uh, destroyed, was a big motivation. But whatever the motivation, now these unbelievers are part of the workforce for completing Yahweh's temple. Doesn't mean they signed on. Doesn't mean they started to worship there. That wasn't in the decree. They just had to help. So in verses 14 and 15, with everyone doing their part, the temple was finished on March the 21st of 515 before Christ, B.C. Solomon's temple, not the tabernacle of David, but the first permanent temple Solomon built, was destroyed August the 12th 586 B.C. by Nebuchadnezzar. Zerubbabel's temple, the one we're talking about in Ezra, the one that Zerubbabel was the lead, uh, the, the lead builder, let's say, or maybe the contractor, whatever you would like to say. Zerubbabel's temple that they're building right here that they finished, March 21st, 515, that will stand for 500 years until it is remodeled by King Herod, another unbeliever, And uh, he brought it back to the glory of the original temple of Solomon. And he is the one who finished that. It wasn't finished in Jesus' day, but most of it was. So it was in Herod's temple that Jesus, as a little boy, would go and worship with Mary and Joseph. There had been, uh, overall, a 21-year delay in the building of Zerubbabel's temple. But when the time came, God moved every mountain I don't know if you're facing obstacles in, in your ministry at what level. We're all facing uh, the obstacle of this uh, virus that's going around. We're praying about that. It's affected our, our ministries. It's affected our awana. It's affected our life groups. Sometimes it affects us in, in church in the morning. But I want to remind you of what it says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Ephesians 3 verse 20. In the benediction... Paul wrote, Now to him, that is to God, to Jesus, who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, to all generations forever. Amen. And I just want to ask you, because we don't know what the future holds, do you believe that? Do you believe that no matter the opposition, God is in control? Do you believe that With God, nothing is impossible? Do you believe that with God, your ministry will be able to forge ahead? Maybe it has to change a little bit. Maybe we're having to do things outside of our normal ministry. 
But do you believe that, that with God all things are possible? God expects that nothing will happen with us if we don't have faith. Nothing works with God if you don't have faith. Now, breakthroughs come for ministry, but only God knows when and what the particulars will be. Just because we minister does not mandate that God gives us a breakthrough. God is in control, and sometimes he allows us to struggle in a ministry like the problem encountered in Ezra chapter 4. Dr. Nicolation, and I quote, says this, God arranges circumstances to overcome decisively the opposition to the obedient work of God's people. He says, I want you to see that in this text because there's going to be people down the road, God knows is going to run into the same problem, maybe with a different situation or a different ministry, and he wants you to know that God is still there. He is still moving. He is still in control. And this is all decided on God's timeline. All we have to do all that we're responsible for is when he comes back, we need to be caught doing the work of the master. We don't have to force God's hand. Our job is to just be found being faithful. I think about the fact that God could, if he would, every time I pray for the advancement of the ministry of our church and for other churches that follow Jesus Christ. I always ask God, would you advance our ministry in this area or that, that area? And there's lots of times, there's one thing I've been asking for for 25 years, and we haven't got it. <laughs> but the point is, there's other things we do have because it was God's plan. And I want you to pray the same way. I'd like you to pray for the advancement of the ministry of our church. I'd like you to pray for the advancement of your ministry, what you're doing for Jesus Christ, because the days are short. We need to be about the work of God's ministry. So let me just give you a few applications, and we'll be done. Number one, our God can accomplish anything. Do you believe that? Our God can accomplish anything. Nothing is too difficult for him. Remember that when ministry doesn't seem to be working the way you want it to work. Secondly, pray for rulers, authorities, and for our nation. Biblically, that's what we have been called on to do. Thirdly, be confident in your work for Jesus. God can solve any problem. And finally, God uses both the saved and unsaved in his program to move things ahead in ministry. Sadly, God can also use saved and unsaved to bring out opposition in a ministry. Let's not forget what Paul said to the Corinthians in chapter 11. When he said, I hear there's division in, in your church. I hear that the people aren't getting along. And he said, and I believe that. There must be division in God's family at times to show which of those people are approved and who are not approved of God. It's just a part of what has been built into the program. And through it all, God wants us to just be faithful. Let's pray for ourselves. Lord Jesus, we want to be faithful people. We want to be people that are firmly rooted in the belief that you're in control, that nothing is too difficult for you, that you are a God that blesses faithfulness, and that you will help us if we take a step in your direction. Lord, we don't know what's going to happen in our country. Uh, we, we may have fears about it. 
Others may be uh, very happy about what they think is going to happen. But the point is, we're not in control of that. You are. And whatever you give us, I pray that you would help us to be able to keep the freedom that we have to spread the gospel and the truth of God's word. And more than that, that we would take advantage of the freedom we have right now to do that very thing. And on behalf of all of us, Jesus, I ask that for us. We ask it in your precious and holy name. Amen. You would please stand and open your hymnal to number 563. We will close by singing Count Your Blessings.
you bow for the benediction. O oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For from him to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen.